0: This is the Today in the World podcast for Thursday the 10th of December 2020. I'm your host Uncle K and here are your headlines. Explosive new documents reveal the Canadian Prime Minister has been training the Chinese army on Canadian soil. Children's Science magazine accidentally reveals terrible standards in a COVID-19 super lab. Germany's oldest bank has launched a euro stablecoin on the Stellar network and a follow-up on the arrest of Liverpool Mayor... Joe Anderson. Here's what you missed today in the world. So if you remember last week, I spoke about the mayor of Liverpool, Joe Anderson, being arrested and questioned over allegations of bribery and witness intimidation. I'd like to now just go back to that story and follow up because some of his Labour colleagues have been asking him to stand down as mayor. Reporting from the Daily Mail, it comes as Liverpool City... Council's Deputy Leader Derek Hatton was revealed as one of the five men also arrested in the property fraud probe. He is allegedly held on suspicion of witness intimidation. Police held Joe Anderson for questioning on Friday on suspicion of bribery and intimidating witnesses. After being bailed, the 62-year-old insisted he would continue to lead the city's fight against the pandemic. And considering the allegations against him, that's the last thing I actually want him to be doing. I can just imagine these guys going around with this pretense that they are some kind of untouchable political style mafia gang going around and intimidating anyone that was willing to give up information on their alleged crimes. In my eyes, political criminals are worse than any other organized crime group we have ever seen because they have that immunity. They have that trust that we've given them to do the job that they have been granted with. You know, the article continues. His stance was greeted with incredulity by both political opponents and voices from within the party, from which he is suspended. Joe cannot continue as mayor while being investigated by the police. Former Liverpool Walton MP Peter Kil Kilfoy, Kim Foyle said. Sorry, Kim Foyle, that's a bit of a mouthful. He said he can't carry on. However, the 62-year-old who has not been charged has yet to give any indication that he will bow to the pressure. In the statement published by the Liverpool Echo yesterday, Mayor Anderson said, I was arrested as part of Operation Aloft on Friday the 4th of December and interviewed for six hours. I cooperated fully with Merseyside police and will continue to be cooperative in their continuing inquiries. I will be taking to my cabinet colleagues over the weekend to ensure the challenges our city faces with the COVID pandemic continue to receive the focus they deserve. I also support the Labour Party's decision to apply an administrative suspension while this investigation continues. I have been bailed to return in one month's time. Given the investigation is continuing and there are bail conditions, I will not be making any further comments. And to be honest, Personally, I do have a little tiny, tiny fraction of sympathy with him because this guy was standing up for businesses during lockdown in October. That was his claim to fame, so to speak. However, I can't ignore the fact that what he was involved in was really, really um, a, a big issue in our society right now, you know, with this with this. This bribery stuff, this fraud stuff, you know, especially when it comes to the property market. I just wish that we could hold all politicians to account in this way, not just the ones that are standing up for businesses during this pandemic. I would much rather keep those guys, but, you know, you can't pick and choose. But with regards to the case, I'd like to say that, you know, let's just leave the speculation out of it and wait for justice to be served. I would love to have said that. You know, that sounds like the smart me, the the unbiased me talking, but I'm not going to pretend to be unbiased right now. I don't have that kind of faith in our legal system in that way. So as more information comes out, I will be talking about it, reporting on it, and I'll probably speculate a little bit on what is actually going on, because let's face it, it's the only way you're going to get truth these days. A feature in children's science magazine, How It Works, has inadvertently shone a light on the wholly inadequate standards in the PCR testing Megalab in the spring. Among the accidental revelations of the interview with two lab workers, Beth Cole and Ben Galley, is that the quality control was so poor that the error rate was estimated to be around 30%, reporting from lockdown sceptics. So to summarise, there are about 10 points, nine points. Yeah, about nine points that summarise just how bad the standards are in this super lag. So starting from number one, long 12-hour shifts with inadequate breaks. Number two, adverse regimental discipline of time management that gravitated into bullying. Number three, no health and safety training for a BSL-2 facility, as well as no induction in biohazards as the biology of contagion with a focus on SARS-CoV-2. Number four, new starters are rushed into a BSL-2 slash three environment in the absence of scrutiny of CVs or clinical assessments by an occupational health physician. Number five, haphazard on the job training by individuals with unknown expertise. Number six, recruitment of personnel with no proper assessment even of the most rudimentary skills for a biosecure laboratory. Number seven, the PCR test error rate, 30%. Beth says that I don't know the percentage error at the moment, but when I was there, I think it was a 30% error rate. That's fairly high, but you have to remember that in normal science, you do everything at least three times. whereas There, you have one go at it. I do PCR tests a lot, and the threshold would usually be pretty high. There are a lot of factors that can influence a test, and I think when you do a test, you should take it with a pinch of salt. Number eight, threshold for detection was low, i.e. high CTs, as they wanted to account for the, the detection of any virus. This means the detection of signals in the samples being defined as positive when in fact, they could be artificial or due to cross contamination between samples or even picking up contaminants in the facility environment, including personnel, i.e., false positives. And before I go on to the last point, that really just makes you think, like, what the hell? You want us to wash our hands? You don't want us to see anyone? You don't want us to even hug our family in Christmas? But the people that are doing the tests, which determine how we react to this pandemic, They are, they have cross-contamination between samples going on here. Come on, let's put this into perspective now. This is actually insanity. The last point, point nine, Beth says, there was no PPE a lot of the time when we were all together. There was less focus on social distance and safety and more focus on productivity. I was surprised how little thinking I was required to do. I remember thinking, What if I don't know enough? And what if I'm completely out of my depth, but we just had to use manpower? This is completely unacceptable to put anybody in a situation where their instincts tell them they are operating in a very dangerous environment, but they are forced to carry on by people with very little concern for the safety of their employees. Time for the financial news now. Bitcoin is trading at $18,204.88. It is pretty stable, actually, only down by about 1% in the last 24 hours. It still has some ground to gain. Over the last seven days, it is down 6%. So yeah, still a lot of work there for it to get back to the region it was previously. Ethereum is at $558, down 2% in the last 24 hours and 10% over the last week. XRP is up 4%, but still 9% down for the week. Tether is trading at a dollar as usual. Bitcoin Cash is uh, actually up 0.12%. It's not really worth mentioning, actually, but still down 8.57% for the week. Litecoin is down 2.78%, trading at $74. Chainlink is down 2.75%, trading at $12. Cardano is down 0.19% trading at $0.14. Polkadot is down 1.84%, trading at $4.83. And Binance Coin is trading at $27 and is down 9% for the week and 1% over the last 24 hours. It seems that when Bitcoin is affected, everyone follows, you know, everyone just follows the trend. Like none of these guys can move independently without each other, which is a bit strange considering their value sometimes has nothing to do with the other one you know but i guess it's the crypto world you know no one can really make sense of this stuff as yet but hopefully this stuff is going to start making a lot more sense as more people and more institutional investors start getting involved which we're actually going to talk a little bit about now so apparently institutional investors are increasingly interested in ethereum Yesterday, Tyler Winklevoss, the founder of the Gemini Crypto Exchange, announced that an Ether fund would be launched tomorrow by 3iQ Corp. The Ether fund would be listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange and has already raised $75 million. The Ether fund would enable stockholders to have direct exposure to Ether. Crypto analyst Scott Melker recently commented that both coins, shares and Grayscale have released data and statements indicating that institutional investors are increasingly going to be interested in Ethereum. The Ether Fund would allow stockholders to have direct exposure to Ether and the Investment Fund also enables investors to achieve capital appreciation by a long-term holding strategy. There are no limits on minimum purchases, which incentivizes more buyers for the fund and despite the recent drop in eth's price the launch of the ether funds could only mean good news for ether bulls as the fund was created in a way where investors would benefit if ethereum's price eventually goes up reporting from blockchain news so just bear in mind that it was only yesterday i was also saying that the rise in the use of stable coins means more activity for the ether network since something like 60% of all usdt Already floating on the market is in the form of Ethereum backed ERC20 token. So, this news story is kind of leaning leaning in that same positive direction for the Ethereum network. Bitso, the biggest crypto exchange in Latin America, has raised $62 million in a Series B funding round. Bitso plans to use the funding to consolidate its expansion in the region, including a focus on Brazil's emerging market. According to Cointelegraph, Daniel Vogel, or Vogel, CEO of Bitso, said, our mission is to provide universal access to cryptocurrencies in a simple, transparent and secure way and to make them useful in people's lives. Venture capital firm founder Kaz- Kazex Zakatsi said since their launch, they have developed a platform that includes exchange functionalities, international payment capabilities, and banking functionalities that allow for intuitive crypto operations. Coinbase and Pantera Capital also participated in BITSO's funding round. So, some interesting developments there for the Latin America world where. I'm hearing and, you know, seeing quite often on the news as well that they are adopting cryptocurrency at some crazy, crazy, crazy rate. They might be the new America, you know, <laughs> because, you know, their, their inflation that they have been dealing with down there with some of those countries is is absolutely ridiculous. You know, so there's no wonder that they're adopting different currencies. How it's going to pan out with their relationship with their neighbors in America and the rest of the world is something that we're just going to have to wait and see for the future. But what we can definitely say for sure now is that they are just going crazy on cryptocurrency. Germany's oldest bank, known as Bankos von der Heide, or BVDH, has launched a euro stablecoin on the Stellar network. The EURB coin, it's called, is fully regulated and backed 100% by euros allowing banks and institutional investors to use the cryptocurrency without exposure to counterparty risk. The bank claims the token is the first of its kind to be issued by a banking institute. The EURB stablecoin, which went live today, was developed on the Stellar blockchain in partnership with tokenization and digital assets custody technology provider Bitbond. BVDH managing director Philip Doppelhammer stated that the coin's first use case will be for cross border money transfers for blockchain payments company Satoshi Pay's business customers. The lack of a fully licensed bank backing today's stablecoins is their main shortfall, the business development manager Lucas Weinger stated. Bitbond founder and CEO Rodoslav Albreich noted. Banks normally wouldn't feel comfortable using stablecoins like Tether or USDC due to the potential counterplay, sorry, counterparty risk that is behind them. They prefer to work with stablecoins issued by banks, and the same is true for institutional investors. Reporting from Coin Telegraph. The World Economic Forum and Chainlink, the decentralized Oracle network, today proposed an open source standard for connecting data sources to blockchain smart contracts, reports from Decrypt. The proposal was put forward in a paper called Bridging the Governance Gap. Interoperability for blockchain and legacy systems and argues in favor of services like Chainlink, which features as a case study Decentralized oracles run by a series of decentralized but hand picked nodes work together to help smart contracts verify the veracity of data from an external source. I had to do some Googles myself to find out what the hell they're actually talking about because I, yeah, they're, they're using some next techie language that I don't really understand, to be honest. But to sum it up, um, I think it can be better explained for most people as. External services that feed information into the smart contract. This is what this Oracle thing is that they're talking about. It's just external services that feed information into the smart contract. Making this an easy process is essential for making blockchain technology accessible to the old legacy system. The World Economic Forum is essentially giving Chainlink the mainstream powerful backing from the legacy system to standardize the future of smart contracts. The paper highlights some of the key considerations for both financial institutions and government IT initiatives, demonstrating their ability to become blockchain enabled using their existing IT infrastructure with the help of a blockchain Oracle, such as Chainlink. Funny enough, there is another company I know of that's trying to build and bridge, you know, have this governance gap, you know, uh, sorted out. That company I'm talking about is Cardano currently trading only at 14 cents. If they keep doing what they're doing, they may be a real competitor for Chainlink in the future. But what do I know? This is a very, uh, what do you call it, premature assessment of mine as I'm really still trying to get my head around all of the mechanisms behind what really makes it work in the first place. But again, like I said in other previous episodes, Cardano is definitely something to look out for. Explosive documents revealed. Canadian Prime Minister requested Chinese troops be stationed in Canada. Article from InfoWars. According to Rebel News, Justin Trudeau invited China's People's Liberation Army, PLA, to send its troops for cold weather training at CFB Pentawawa in Ontario. And Tradu raged at the Canadian Armed Forces for cancelling the training after China kidnapped Canadian citizens. Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig. Rebel News Network founder Ezra Levant filed an information request with the Canadian government after seeing a Sputnik report about a Canadian official attending an anniversary celebration for China's Navy in April 2019. The documents can be found at thechinafiles.com. Here is what the Rebel News Network founder said about this. He said... I don't think any Canadians knew that Tradro has been training the Chinese army here on Canadian soil at Canadian forces bases. It's shocking to me that can, that Canada would train a communist dictatorship in winter warfare techniques that could theoretically be used against us and will surely be used against our ally in India, as well as against Chinese citizens in Xinjiang, Tibet, and Hong Kong, and Hong Kong. <laughs> That was a mouthful, sorry. The anti-American language in the secret documents is deeply worrying as it shows that Canada is reorientating itself away from our traditional democracy allies and towards the world's worst tyrants, much like Pierre Tradu tried to do during the Cold War. And what I find most interesting about this article is that it sums up how we've all felt about the relationship between America and the East, you know, China, who have been responsible for spreading this Chinese virus, as they call it, as Trump says, all over the world, you know. And all of a sudden, Canada's training the Chinese army. Just a few years ago, you guys were at war with each other. What's going on? Clearly, someone's not telling the truth, you know. Thank you for listening and getting to the end of the podcast. I appreciate you. Please share it with a friend. Get the word out there and stay blessed. Have a good evening.